0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
3: Terry murdered a child.
0: The evidence and the counter-evidence, I'm struggling with that. When the facts are filled with coincidences, don't dismiss those coincidences.
3: I have no tolerance for the unexplainable.
1: Well then, sir,
4: you'll have no tolerance
1: for me.
0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Still Watching the Outsider. I'm Vanity Fair, senior writer Joanna Robinson.
4: And I'm Vanity Fair, chief critic Richard Lawson.
0: If you are brand new to this podcast that we do, uh, I just want to let you know that every week we watch and talk about the latest episode of an ongoing TV series. We are currently watching uh, The Outsider on HBO Sunday nights. We will be discussing episode three and episode three alone. We will not be spoiling anything after episode three, even though this show is based on Stephen King book and there's information out there from the book. We will not be spoiling stuff from the book or anything like that. So, um, this is it. Episode three, when things get spooky and mm-hmm. Cynthia Riva shows up.
4: Yeah, um, those things are not related. It just, it just happens to no. be that Cynthia no. Riva shows up. Actually, she's kind of like a force of like hope, I think, in the series thus far. Uh, yes. But yeah, things get okay. a little bit more yeah. supernatural.
0: Spooky, spooky rashes. Um, alright. So, um, before we get into sort of our breakdown of the episode, um, I just want to let you guys know that if you want to email us, you can. Still still watching pod at com. We got an email this week from Charlotte, uh, who writes in, uh, I'm ready to say I'm excited. You guys will be covering the outsider as a fan of the book. I was really anticipating the mini series and the first two episodes did not disappoint. So far the show has nailed the mystery and the creepiness that the book captured so well. That said, I'm going to put the book completely aside and enjoy the series as its own entity. One thing stuck out to me and I'm curious if it's a clue or a continuity error. The little girl who saw blood covered Terry recalled him exiting the woods where the body was later found. He got into the white van and drove off. When the dog walker discovered the boy's body, the white van was parked in front of the woods again, but later the bouncer said blood covered Terry left it in the club's employee parking lot. The detectives never mentioned this contradiction between the witnesses, so it was an error, so either it was an error the show made or did blood covered Terry bring the van back to the site of the murder and wait to be spotted by whomever discovered the body before going to the strip club? If so, that goes into the he's begging to be seen category, which is itself, uh, suspicious. I'm looking forward to more of this great story next week. Thanks, guys, from Charlotte. Mm. Um, yeah, it's intriguing. I mean, my, my gut kind of says continuity here. <laughs> yeah, um, kinda. um, but, uh, it does sort of play into, what we've seen so far from this suspicious figure, which is like, let me make sure everyone sees my face and knows who I am, uh, and knows for sure who I am, uh, on this journey. So, I don't right.
4: know. If you and like, have thoughts about- yeah. The Go van ahead. is like, the, you know, w- w- the line from the episode one or uh, two, I think, when, um, Ralph says, like, oh, it's like the van followed you home. You know, so right. like maybe the van is, I don't know, driving around on its own <laughs> or something.
0: Oh my God. I love, I love that. Uh, that's some real Christine shit right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah. So, um, if you have thoughts on Charlotte's email or, or the white van or, or locations or anything else, um, please do email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Um, before we sort of like run down the episode though, I did want to, I kind of want to start with the arrival of this Holly Gibney characters and Theorevo and also chat with you a little bit, Richard. I, I'm at the TCA is the television critic association, uh press tour in LA right now. And, uh, during HBO's presentation day, they had a panel for the show. So, um, I got to see Jason Bateman and Revo and Richard Price talking about it a little bit. So I want to, you know, sort of chat with you about some of the things they said there. Um, but let's, let's start first with Holly Gibney as a character because Cynthia had some interesting things to say at the panel about it. So, um, Holly Gibney arrives. What do you make of her, of her introduction?
4: I, I like the way that like a major character is introduced kind of almost offhandedly with, um, what is it? Bill Camp's character saying, Hey, what if we called Holly Gibney for that? You know, right, and it's right, like, yeah. you know, I just like that like that, that her, she's introduced kind of, virtually like she's not in the room you know you know we hear about her before we see her um and i kind of like that uh for for some like kind of dramaturgical reason or something but um and then you know and i think that part of that is because they almost want to prepare you for the character uh being uh you know sort of much more affected and and you know idiosyncratic than a lot of the kind of more like rumpled regular kind of small town folk that are otherwise populate the show um because she's decidedly not of that of their world and i think that maybe some of that is like telegraphed by the fact that she is black and the rest of the main cast uh, for the most part are are white people and you know i don't know so I, i think that there's an interesting sort of textual way that they establish holly's difference and then you have the actual sort of uh, you know, her speaking patterns or her thought patterns, which are um, certainly different from the more sort of slow considered uh, tones of the other characters in the show.
0: Yeah. So she's, um, I believe the phrase they're using is neuroatypical, meaning she's on a behavioral sort of spectrum, but there's also um, as is mentioned in this episode, a, um, you know, she went, underwent all these tests as a kid to sort of figure out what was going on with her, and I think I think the quote is like "fuck if I know" was the official diagnosis. Um, and so we're dealing with something that is beyond or or different from, you know, um, you know, other depictions of Aspergers or autism that we've seen on the screen before, and something that Cynthia Revo said. Like, I I was a little hesitant about this because I like didn't know this about the character. And, um, so at first I was a little, um, like, because the stereotype of the defective detective, which is like what they called monk, right? This like thing Mm -hmm. of like, uh, someone who has, you know, a, a, you know, different behavioral interactions with people, but that makes them a better detective, like is, is something that is a little worn, worn out and, sometimes very poorly executed uh, in TV. Um, But when I was watching this performance, I'm like, I really, I mean, I really liked the way that though she, you know, presents some of these characteristics, there is also like genuine connection there for her. And Cynthia Erivo talked about exactly that, about exactly that she did not want to have this character. Now, some, no, some people, I, I'm not, um, uh, you know, uh, educated enough to talk about this in any sort of like authoritative way, so please do not take offense if I say something incorrect. I'm definitely trying not to. And if I do send this something indirect, please like feel free to email me. But like, um definitely there are some people on spec on this spectrum of behavior who do not have the ability to connect in meaningful ways with people. And something that um you know, so the says said that she wanted this character of Holly to be a character who connected. And like, I have her quote from the TCA here. She said, um, with every connection she is, um, I wanted to connect as much as she could with every connection. She is learning to communicate and allows people to figure out who she is and what she is experiencing. Um, and then she said, not all of us are good at communicating with every connection. She's learning to communicate and thread ideas. And so I really liked this, we the first introduction we get from her is she's like rattling off facts about cars. Then we get this phone call, but then we get this bar scene like directly after where there's someone sitting in her seat. She says, you're sitting in my seat, which is like something that I think feels a familiar if we've seen um a character on the spectrum before. Mm-hmm. But then she goes like, you're okay. You know, it's not, it's not like a rigid, it's like a, you're okay, but you're sitting in my seat. And then that, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Maybe, maybe people watching or listening have a different idea about this, but I just think that it's a, it is, it seems to me to not trying to like play it for laughs or play it for like whatever in the way that I think some other shows have done in the past, if that makes any sense.
4: Yeah, no, and I think it's a tricky thing because, um, it is a broad spectrum, you know, um, as, as we come to understand, uh, neuroatypicality more, um, not just medically, but culturally and, you know, artistically, you know, and in, in all ways that, that people exist in the world, um, there is room for a lot of variants. I think, that, I think that one of the things in television in particular, um, is that you don't want to make that, Um, an oddity you know you don't want holly's presence in the show to be just like another weird detail of this you know increasingly supernaturally weird show you know i think that's or that would be a a real sort of disservice to to people who uh, live uh you know lives that are perfectly unodd for the for them you know in the world um and and so i i think thus far we haven't I haven't seen that trope kind of manifesting, uh, which is a relief because when, you know, when she first showed up, I was a little like, uh-oh, like I, I tensed myself thinking back to like Diane Kruger inelegantly playing an autistic woman, um, uh, on the bridge, uh, on F- that FX show that I think lasted a season or two, you know, uh, but I, I think there's something a little bit more thoughtful happening here. And uh, you know, that's owed to Arevo, obviously, but also the the show's writers and directors, like, uh, maybe even the source material, like, um, that there is, you know, some at least keener understanding, and I, I have hope that her character, um, you know, is is given uh, fair treatment as the series goes on.
0: Um, and to circle back to your mention of like how she's introduced, she's in, you hear her name before you meet her. Um, that may partially be because Holly Gibney is a character who has appeared in other Stephen King uh, books. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in the, the Bill Hodges trilogy, like Mr. Mercedes. And there was actually, there is a TV adaptation of Mr. Mercedes. And on that show, Justine Loop, um, I think it's a Loop. It might be Lupe, uh, who's, uh, who we know, um, from Succession, uh, played, uh, Holly Gibney on that show. And she's, she's a, a white actress. And so, you know, this, this was, uh, I like what you have to say about the way in which Cynthia Rivo um from her like more polished city mannerisms and from you know being the only non-white male on this core team even though there is there's is more diversity in Ralph's department um makes her stand out in other ways you know um as not part of this hometown team uh, if that makes sense
4: so yeah yeah and i think that, you know um it's my understanding uh that like she is the kind of one of the main characters of the show, you know? So I think that like, she's going to, in the coming episodes, like she will get her, her, her due. Um, and, and it's an interesting time for Ariwa as an actress, you know, um, which having just gotten an Oscar nomination for Harriet and.
0: Yeah. Well, this is, um, you know, uh, what, last year around this time we were doing true detective, uh, with Marshall Ali, who then went on to win an Oscar. And of course, Matthew McConaughey won his Oscar right after he did True Detective, So this like, this January HBO prestige detective show slot is, uh, is nothing but a positive for your Oscar campaign. So, um, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, Richard Price at, at this panel at TCA talked about sort of the liberties that he took with the book. Like he's given the Stephen King book, um, he says, King gives you a good story and good characters, but the book is not a teleplay, so you have to convert all of that to visuals. Um, And he said that the differences that he mm-hmm. wanted to do, is specifically with the Holly Gibney character, that Stephen King, the only thing that Stephen King he said pushed back on was like, please just, can you call her Holly Gibney? That's like the only thing that he insisted on. And Stephen King has this thing that he does where he connects the material between a lot of his books. You have recurring characters in different, you know, you've got like, uh, the setting of Derry Maine is a recurring thing in King. so it's just like, it's a, it's part of the way that he weaves his universe. And so he's like, okay, you can make Holly different in your story, but I still want her to be Holly Gibney so that she is connected to the rest of this universe. But Richard Price for his part was like, I'm not even considering the Mr. Mercedes, like the other Holly Gibney stuff. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, that does not exist in my version of Holly. So that's sort of where we are in terms of like who this Holly Gibney is versus like other Holly Gibneys you might've seen on the screen. So, um, and I I also, yeah, go ahead.
4: I also think it's interesting in, in the scene where she first meets, uh, Ralph and, and, um, she immediately gets talking about the topic of doppelgangers and 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 you know all the sort of um, folklore throughout so many cultures that basically speaks you know speaks about the same idea um, of a sort of insidious double. Um, I think it's uh, you know that's an, another kind of interesting um, tweak on on a, on a tropey character or what what could have been a tropey character because you know we're we're used to getting the sort of you know like the Jim Parsons on Big Bang Theory, where the person, you know, is, 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 is obsessed with technicality and has no sort of magical thinking and, and no imagination, you know, and, and I think that that's, that can be a limiting and unfair, um, uh, pre, you know, uh, depiction of, of people. And so I, I, I like that she's kind of the one who's like, I'm gonna consider everything and like, I'm to find this stuff interesting. I find the other stuff, you know, the factual stuff interesting. And I, 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 I like that kind of breadth of, of her, um, you know, investigative
0: i also like that even if we're having a sort of like Mulder and scully dynamic between her and ralph who's like i have no tolerance for you know the supernatural and then she's like well then you'll have no tolerance for me by the way but i really i already like their connection in in two points in this episode one when she leaves that scene of course there's that part where she says you know you don't drink that much but you did to make me feel comfortable thank you Mm -hmm. great great stuff and then later when she calls him and she says sometimes i just like to like hear the voice of someone who's on my side and so like the fact that she already can even even if they don't see eye to eye on this that she already considers him someone on her side um and also that is an extremely relatable um i'm like yeah same i also sometimes like to hear the voice of someone who's on my side so um you know hopefully we all have a Ben Mendelson on on Speed Dial that we can call to be on our side. Um yeah, I I like this introduction and I really like her. The reviews for the show, you know, your review on on vf.com was positive, but the reviews are mixed, but most people who reviewed the show seem to say like but Cynthia Rivo though, you know, like that she is a really bright standout. For me, I like the show a lot and I could personally watch Ben Mendelssohn just be, like, silently sad and then her, like, you know, do some spooky stuff and uh, be really happy, so... Uh, I'm pretty
4: happy about all of it yeah and I think you know just to go into more of uh, to the rest of the episode that like you know I watch a ton of cooking videos and cooking shows and everything and they always talk about like balancing a fat with acid or sort of whatever you know sweetness with heat or whatever you know like in finding that balance and I think that given what else is happening in this episode where we have a guy slitting his own throat we have a detective who is now under the thrall of something we think you know it's exactly when Holly needed to arrive to kind of let the show still have a little bit of air to it, a little bit of levity to it or at least maybe hope to it that someone is going to figure what the, out what's happening because otherwise I feel like this episode would have been just like this grim slog into more and more horror without any sort of light uh, in, in on the horizon
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that um... And
1: if you are watching this video either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation she said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots, I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh. It's Madeleine
0: Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague Heidi Blake at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai.
1: Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away?
3: There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage.
1: And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich
0: and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow in the dark wherever you get your
3: podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation.
2: This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real-life conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
0: When... Like speaking of the cooking shows that you watch, what do you think the flavor profile of the sauce at Big Daddy's Hangry Barbecue
4: is? <laughs> well, I bet I bet that tonight. I bet it's perfectly balanced, got the right tang. What I don't want to know is what the flavor profile of that goo they find all over everything uh mm-hmm. in in the barn. And I, and I have no interest in, <laughs> in knowing that.
0: No interest in tasting the goo. All
4: right, well, no. that's good.
0: Um, alright, so we, we open in the barn with the Maitland clothing. Um, and so we, we, like, we have our, our, this character, Eunice Sablo, played by, uh, Yul Vasquez, who we talked about last week. Um, and what winds up happening is we basically have, like, a core team, which is, um, Eunice Sablo, Howard Solomon, Detective Ralph Anderson, Alec Pelly, and, uh, Holly Gibney. These five people have decided to kind of take this investigation into their own hands because they're not satisfied with the Terry Maitland answer and they know no one else is going to, like, solve this case if they don't. So despite the fact that, like, Ralph is on mental health leave, uh he is on this investigation. Always a good sign. Um So they find these clothes, uh these goop clothes, and uh the angry cop that we met last week, Jack, has to go up to the barn to investigate. And um, he's pretty angry about it. that's that seems to be his character profile entirely. And so we get this scene with him at the strip club. So you had said last week you've you've seen more episodes than I have, just a few more, but like you said last week that the strip club stuff felt kind of like vestigial sort of like this weird satellite thing like wh- why are we back to this setting sort of thing? But you and I both, I think, are fans of the actor Patty Constantine, who plays the you know club manager or whatever. And so it's one of those cases where I'm like, you don't cast him to not do more. Right. So like, I'm almost wondering, and I haven't seen, this is pure speculation, but I'm like, is he going to get infected or doppelganged at some point? Are we get to get to going to get to see him do something cool and weird? Um, But he seemed to be, you know, he seemed to notice um both the bad behavior of this guy, both pre spooky rash and, Post spooky rash, um, like what what's your take on the use of of the strip club here?
4: Yeah, I mean I I mean the strip club as a sort of <clears throat> as a sort of venue for us to to see his bad behavior, you know, like like I, I guess it's a it's an interesting setting that that reveals a certain kind of side of one's personality, maybe, and that that's kind of what it's being used dramatically for. But like, but also like if Jack is infected. With or whatever whatever is going on, you know, we don't really still we still don't know um, if he's always at the strip club acting out anyway. Like yeah, like maybe that will come to bear later in the story uh, because I yeah I think I think that this episode also has the tricky thing of we have an, another kind of side plot in the whole prison thing. Right. That would maybe seems to re- resolve itself to some extent by the end of this episode, but then you also have this other stuff. So it's it, it's a tricky, you know, going back to balance. And I don't know if the episode one hundred percent balances that, just partly because I am just waiting for whatever the whole strip club, you know, uh, arena of the world is meant to to mean in, in the grander scheme of things.
0: Right, and I am like the most cynical side of me is like, is this here just so that HBO can get its like, where HBO like. Mm-hmm right uh adult uh, mature content uh angle and I hope that's not the case but um yeah I mean I think so they need to show Jack uh acting out as he did in the last two episodes uh so that I think my guess would be so that once he starts acting out uh if he is infected with something and he's like acting out like it'll take longer for people around him to notice because he's always been a Right, shitty dude. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I have a. I have a really important question for you, Richard. Mm. If you were to get some sort of spooky rash on the back of your neck, uh, or spooky wound, uh, shrapnel, whatever you want to call it, what would you? What would? What? How would you treat it? How would you treat said wound?
4: However, my, my new dark master told me to, to treat it. I mean, you know, uh-huh. um, but, but this is all hypothetical, right? I mean, not, you're not implying anything about me, right?
0: I definitely have not sent a, a spooky <laughs> rash away. way. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like slathering it in neosporin is just like one step up from slathering it in like daddy's Angry barbecue sauce or something like that. I'm like, right. you, just, you put neosporin on it, bud. Like, that's it. You got well, hit. With questionable materials in a spooky barn. Like, it felt like he still had some mastery over his brain at that point in the episode. I don't know. Anyway.
4: Well, he's a, but he's uh, a tough feral hog hunter. He's not gonna go to no damn doctor. It's he's true. He's gonna take care of it himself.
0: F those doctors. Um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what happens there, what develops there. I, I for one, I feel like we get it. We get that he's been infected with something through his neck. I what I don't need to see is that rash getting worse. I Mm-mm. don't need to see any Mm-mm. more close up shots of that rash like burbling up or anything. Like, we've done it. I get it. Hopefully that's it for that. Um all right, so let's talk about this this jail uh through line that we get, which is an introduc- introduction introduction. We're basically at a loss for most of the episode as to why we're watching this. I think once you see this prisoner get this like child killer letter it kind of you're kind of like oh he's another terry maybe falsely imprisoned Mm -hmm. for killing a kid that was my guess um but basically what happens is like we see him um he sees this dude who he seems to recognize uh sort of get admitted into the prison he after he sees that he starts making his own little glass uh shiv out of uh you know his glasses lens and then we see the dude who just checked into prison. It's called checking into prison, right? Like a hotel. The dude who just checked yeah, into prison.
4: He, he talks to the valet and the concierge and yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Checks his bags and then removes the shiv from inside his calf. Something I did not need to know about. Um so he's got the shiv ready to go and basically, you know, he goes to attack uh this inmate and this inmate. Slits his own throat. He's like, you don't get to do this. I'm gonna
4: kill myself. And so it was great to see um Sarah Snook, though, kind of do like an HBO crossover thing as Shiv. <laughs>
0: <laughs> love a love a Shiv uh cameo. <laughs> um but so the thing we find out is that um uh that Holly discovers the connection. Like we're in the dark for much of the episode, but Holly discovers the connection for us, which is that uh this young man who slit his throat seems to have been terry maitland's dad's like like worked in the hospital where terry maitland's dad peter i think it is peter maitland he's hospitalized for um like alzheimer's basically and um was convicted for the murder of two young girls the williams sisters um so this, you know, seems to be like a vengeance kill. like it all kind of makes sense to me, right? Like this guy gets himself arrested so he can be in the prison so he can take his revenge. Sort of similar, a similar closing of the loop as what happened with the Maitland murder, right? right. And so yeah. uh, you almost think that maybe this is part of the whole, like if there is a doppelganger or whatever, part of his like tying up of loose threads is like sending a grieving family member to go murder the person that he doppelganged, question mark?
4: Right. I guess we don't really know who the murderer was, you know, or, or the would-be murderer, rather. Like, the, the guy right. with the shiv in his leg, you know. And I looked, and there was one shot, maybe, a couple shots. He didn't have bubbles on the back of his neck, I don't think.
0: Right, so I don't but know I, don't, he, like, I almost I'm, feel like, he, well, and the girls who were missing um, were African-American, and he was white, so, like, not, probably not, like, a brother or whatever. But I don't know. It seemed like what seemed to be true is that the guy who slid his throat recognized him and recognized him as someone who would want to do him harm.
4: Right. Or he recognized not this individual guy. Uh. I mean, but he recognized the malevolent force that was going to come get mm-hmm. him no matter what. Right. You know, yeah, because hey. like, because like they, they, we saw with the Maitland thing, like that, this doesn't just kill the the pretend killer. It kills the parents, and brother of the murder victim. Like, you know, this thing, ha- it, it, it's concentric circles are pretty wide. And so, like, maybe this guy who's now stuck in prison for something he maybe didn't do has seen it kind of take out every, like a bunch of other people and was just kind of waiting for this, you know?
0: Right. It's, um, that, that scene from episode two still really sticks out to me, right? Which is, um, when the father, of the young boy who was killed, like, tries to hang himself, and then we get that, like, long shot out the window to the hooded figure who seemed to have, like, you know, I mean, I'm extrapolating, but it seems to me, like, yeah, that he compelled this suicide. It's, it's all tying up loose ends. Um, or just, you know, making sure, but, like, that it almost seems, like, fairy tale ritualistic. Like, if you, if you kill a child, uh, eat part of the child, and then mm-hmm. like also there's the like what happens to the community or the, the the community around the child. So I don't know. That's all part of it. Yeah. Um all right. And and the way in which we know or we think we know that a malevolent force might be hanging around, like still guiding the investigation and closing up loops, one one other way we know is through um Terry Maitland's daughter, who is having these dreams. Um Or are they? To- or are they, Or visitations visitations um so we have um the maitland girls have been expelled from school um which seems illegal to me um yeah. but uh, like okay so they've been kicked out of school because of all the drama surrounding their dad and then the youngest one is having these like incidents in the nighttime curious incidents in the nighttime and insists on talking to ralph
4: the curious um, incident of the dad in the nighttime
0: Ooh, <laughs> uh, just cha- change one letter, yeah. uh, and, and to get us there. So, so her mom, Glory Maitland, uh, takes her, uh, you know, very grudgingly, it seems, over, um, to the Anderson household. And I really love this sequence yeah. of young Jessica Maitland talking about what she had seen, Ralph trying to talk to her, Glory cutting it off. And then we get, so that, leaves room for, for Jeannie Anderson, Ralph's wife, to play a role in this, uh and for the show to like pass, pass the Bechtel test or whatever. So like what did what did you make of this like whole uh Jessa stuff?
4: Does it pass the Bechtel Pit test? They were talking about a man, whether or not it's a human man, you know? Um Wookie man <laughs> I like, I mean, I like, it's interesting when she says, like, like daddy, but like messy or something, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that, and the way that it so neatly dovetails or ties into the great scene with Yul Vasquez toward the beginning of the episode where he's running down, like, the very, very, uh, uh big irregularities or oddities about the fingerprint analysis. Yes. Where yeah. it's like to Terry Maitland's fingerprints, but like, if he were 90 years old, which I didn't right. know, like, that the whirls and treads or whatever of your fingerprints wore down as you aged, but I guess it makes sense, but it's kind of depressing to think about. But anyway. This why um,
0: more This is why more old folks should do crimes. This is why said, right? there's so many movies about old folks doing
4: crimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're like literally fading like, from the world, yeah.
0: Yeah, there you go.
4: Um, but, you know, I thought that was interesting and I, I, I didn't notice Ralph register that, you know, that, I mean, because maybe because she didn't say it looked like daddy but old, like maybe if she said that, it would have been like, that would have been Ralph's big light bulb moment, but I'm sure he'll put it together. But I think that, that, that little actress is, she's good and, um, I love that they're giving Mayor Whittingham's character so much to do. Me too. Um, you know, she's got a good energy. I like, she's kind of like Holly in that way where it's like, you know, they're pragmatic, Thinkers and they, even if Holly has a kind of more, can, can also go off on sort of bigger tangents, like, uh, you know, I, I just think they add a certain competency, I guess, to, to the proceedings that, um, again, help kind of offset the really, like, gro- physically gross stuff that is happening elsewhere in this episode.
0: Right. And you just, like, like the Andersons. Um, mm-hmm. I like the way that Ralph interacts with the, you know, like he's good with kids, seems to me. As yeah. is his wife, they, they were probably great parents, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so she says, Jessica says, uh, first of all, I, I, I actually just like love Jessica Maitland, right? Like she's like, first of all, she calls, uh, Ralph, Ben Mendelssohn's character, the sad looking one. I'm like, nailed it, my dear. You've like, you could have, uh, we should just like tattoo that on Ben Mendelssohn. is perfect. Um, yeah. And then she says his skin was wrong. What a fun, creepy thing to say. Uh-huh. Um, and then she also says he was trying to make me cry. And then she's like, I'm not scared by him. I'm mad. He's trying to scare you. Like this is all, this is all great. I do think that we're supposed to understand that Ralph absorbed some of like, maybe he didn't have like a big aha light bulb moment, but the way they do, um, what is that split focus shot called? Um, where you see the, the women on the stairs and then you see Ralph at the bottom of the stairs and they're both in focus. Um, there's a, terrible, oh yeah, I'm not uh, sure. For it. Um, but anyway, I think, I think we're meant to like register his face as he's taking in this information, uh, from her. It's called a Doppler shot. I think that's right.
4: Well, Um, the thing about this is that the that the show hopefully is going to be careful because I don't love it on these kind of investigation shows, be they supernatural or not, where there is, you know, the the viewer at home is like put like has already put together some connections because we've been shown things, so we know we know more in certain cases than the investigators do, Um, and but I don't like when they drag it out for dramatic effect with that investigator, like taking a really long time to accept that. Two things are related. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm, I'm curious to see how the show paces that out in the coming episodes because, you know, this is not a terribly long season of television. So like, eventually they're going to have to take that turn where like, everyone involved accepts the parameters of what we in the audience kind of are already on board with thinking. Um, but I also really liked speaking about like storytelling. I really liked, um, the, the scene between Glory, uh, and, Sorry, Mayor Winningham. Sorry, why am I? Oh, and uh, Jean, Jeannie. Um, where they talk about where Glory tells the story about like, oh, you know, one of my girls like went to a sleepover and an older brother at the house like made them watch Leprechaun and she came home so scared of leprechauns and I kept telling her they didn't exist and that didn't work. She just dug her heels in. But then Terry was like, no, they do exist, but they live in Ireland and they can't leave. And I thought that was, I mean, if that is direct from King or even if it's from Price, like just that kind of like, it's an interesting way to look at um storytelling and suspension of disbelief. It's like, it's much better to kind of go with an idea and give it, give it parameters that sort of make it almost seem realer than just kind of outright, I don't know, deny something or sort of, I don't know, be absolutist about it, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was a nice little scene. Yeah. I,
0: no, I loved that scene. I And once again, like. Maybe it didn't pass the Bechdel test because they were talking about Terry, but um, you know, it, and like,
4: the leprechaun as a man,
0: and the and the leprechaun, but like uh, to have to make room for Glory and uh Jeannie, these two moms, and especially like when you know Jeannie asks like, "How did you ever like get over losing your son?" Basically, she's like, "You don't, you know, like it's just you don't," and mm-hmm. so like to have space for those two women to talk to each other i think that's something that true detective uh w- would not never think to do i maybe it's unfair for me to compare this to true detective but like it feels like a move that true detective wouldn't do to be like let's leave room for these two women to talk to each other about like loss and motherhood and stuff like that and i also like um us getting more like because i I I think Jason Bateman did a great job And, and Bateman talked about this on the panel about how like, you know, it was a, it was a timing thing in terms of like, he was asked to be part of this project. He wanted to be part of this project, but he's got his time commitment to Ozark over Netflix. And so like, he could only like do a two episode stint basically as acting and directing, which is, I mean, the character dies early in the books, but like, that's why Jason Bateman is playing such a small role on this show. Um, he, and he even said that they had to like push back production on Ozark in order for him to be able to do this. So, um, but I think he does such a good job of, um, establishing the character of Terry Maitland partially because we know Jason Bateman and like, you know, so th- you know, that's an easy, it's an easy access to that character. He has that great bunting monologue, um, that he tells in episode two. Um, but I think hearing about him, in this way from glory is another really nice moment in the episode where it's just like, this is what was lost for her, right? Like her mm-hmm. parenting partner. And this is part of what the investigation is about. The investigation is about making sure this doesn't happen to another kid, but it's also about clearing Terry Maitland's name. And if he was like a nice dad who had good ideas about how to talk to children about leprechauns, then, you know, that's, that's something we're rooting for.
4: Yeah. Yeah, for Um, sure.
0: The other thing that we get in this episode that I really like is, uh, we get therapy session for, Mm -hmm. for, for Ralph and, uh, who's on like, you know, mental health leave or whatever. And, uh, I really, once again, I, I think something this show is doing a really good job of is presenting me with a scenario, um, that I've seen many times before, but doing it at a slightly off-kilter angle in a way that makes it, uh, more interesting in dynamic television. So the cup who clearly has emotional issues to work through, who has to go to therapy, but doesn't want to go to therapy. So is resistant to therapy is like something we've seen before, but they lampshade it a bit in that, um, you know, Ralph is like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I've, you know, interrogated people before you sitting there quietly. I get it. I've done it, you know, blah, blah. And then I just, I like the way this scene is written for what it draws. out. It draws out a lot, but not too much. And, you know, hopefully we'll get more, but just like this, this exploration, the fact that this show has room for, uh, to explore his marriage and, and that relationship and everything that's going on there. Like I, I just think that that's, that's a really interesting thing to have space for, um, in a show like this, you know? (sighs)
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing that they're setting up, um, with Ralph and with Glory and Jeannie and, 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 and then a little bit f- further down, like the other characters is Ralph and Jeannie and Glory are at that moment, like pretty convinced that the world is dark and malevolent or, or not, if not malevolent, it is, um, it it is predicated it's it's predicated on pain it's it, it it's it's it tends toward pain you know and then here we have this potentially supernatural thing sort of looming almost to confirm that and so if they do as the show as the season goes on you know if ralph does in particular ralph comes to accept that reality the kind of emotional journey of his character will be seeing how he processes that. Does he kind of feel validated that he was right, that that that, like the world is harsh or does, you know, um, does glory, you know, feel that same way or do they kind of accept it and then move past it? You know? And I think that's the kind of like allegorical thing that King is, you know, often does in his work. I'm told I've only again, seen film and TV adaptations of his work. But um, so I think, I think that that therapy scene is a really good example of like, uh, you know, this show understanding the kind of the, the the groundwork it needs to lay to get to the big, you know, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey looking at the stars at the end of true sure detective moment. You know, it takes a while to get right. there when, you're, when your show is ostensibly a detective show. You know, right, right. Um, so, yeah. But I also love, I love the kind of, I think, I'm assuming that's a Richard Pricey thing of like laying out like an actual sort of like technique for interrogation you know, like, which I'm sure is used by, 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 you know, detectives and otherwise in the real world.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me. Um, I just, I feel like usually with these like grieving detective characters, we get like, uh, you know, someone who's like hard drinking or what, you know, like stuff, stuff that we like hardboiled detective noir stuff, the the kind of stuff that we see in true detective to present us with, Ralph Anderson, who's like, seems to be just like a nice guy who like loves his wife and his wife seems to be great. Like that. I'm like, thank you for giving me something different, something very different. And then Holly, you know, seems to enjoy drinking and to deal with the stuff that she has to deal with. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just, I'm like, it just feels like they're trying to give us something fresh. And I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of that is the price touch because King at this point, if I'm being honest with you, I like Stephen King, but at this point, I'm not sure how fresh his takes are, you know?
4: Yeah. Yeah. No. And and I didn't mean to imply that, like that, uh, Ralph or anyone in, in this show is a nihilist. You know, I think if anyone is maybe glory, but like, um, I think more, it's more just like, you know, the, the world has, 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 um, done a, done a number on these people, you know, uh, for seemingly arbitrary reasons, uh, or no reason at all. Um, and so I think that, like, I'm just interested to see how they confront a kind of manif- physical manifestation of that.
0: Right. Absolutely. No, no, no. I, I know what you meant. Um. All right. So let us talk Um. once again about Holly. I have a question for you that I don't know that we know the answer to, which mm-hmm. is we see her go to this hotel room where the Maitland family stage. We see Gloria and the girls. Um. And I, my question for you is, like, we see her standing in the, you know, pristine hotel room, and then we see – the bustle of the girls and glory around her and the mess of the Maitland family staying there. And then it goes back to pristine. Are we meant to think that Holly can like see any of this stuff or are we meant, or was that just there to help us understand where she was um, in, in the world?
4: My hunch is it's the latter. I think it was a storytelling device, a visual storytelling device, because I think there was like, what, what's this room she's standing in? And I don't, maybe they didn't want to have the scene where she goes to the front desk and asks for the specific room, you know, or whatever. Right, right. Um... <laughs> But you know, you never know with these things. I mean, you know, King, you know, The Shining is a, is a, is a is something that's used in a lot of his, the kind of his like Dark Tower world. You know, is is, the, is some some kind of telepathy or whatever. You know, me, you know, sixth sense. Or, um, so maybe that's that's part of what's going on. But again, we then run risks of how. Neuroatypicality is presented and maybe this suggestion that there's a supernatural element to it wouldn't be very good. So I'm hoping it's not, I think, I'm hoping it was just a device for this one scene.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll see how it, how it unfolds. Something that I did like that we see is we pu- we see her put out a few, um, religious totems sort of in this space where she's staying, um, from varying faiths is my understanding of what we're seeing there, right? Mhm- uh right. so I don't know i just I just think that that's interesting that like yeah, she believes in the supernatural, but she's also like, and I also really loved when she was talking about doppelgangers, and she's talking about like you know, I think it's perhaps a a way for people to explain bipolar disorder or whatever and and um i I don't know i i I like what I'm seeing so far about her idea, like she believes in the unexplainable but also in myths. That crop up trying to explain the unexplainable, um, but also, uh, you know, is comforted by the presence of these various religious totems. I just, I just think that that's all kind of mm-hmm. interesting. So, yeah. and then I also yeah. really like so the scene that she goes to the hospital to try to see Terry's dad, um, I like that she's, she, like, lies and lies pretty well for a minute there, uh, about trying mm-hmm. to get in to see him. And, uh, once again, I feel that that's something, um, and, um, sorry, I, I, I made a mistake at the top of the show by calling it, like, neuro, neuroatypical. I think the preferred term is neurodiverse. Um, I think when we see, um, uh, bad examples of neurodiversity on television, um, or, or, um, not bad examples. I don't know, uh, more played for laughs or whatever. There isn't this, this, uh, I, I just, like, I could never see, like, Monk doing that. You know what I mean? I was just like, oh, she's lying. That's interesting. Um, so I don't know. I just, I think that, I think that it's interesting. I think it's all, um, Complicated and unboxable, which is something that I like, uh, from my characters in television, so. Yeah,
4: yeah and it's not played for comedy, you know, for easy comedy exactly. anyway. Exactly. Um,
0: yeah. Um, so, so the last thing I think that I want to say, and then I think, then I think we did it. Um, but, um, there seems to, like, so the way we understand what we've seen in this episode, um, an orderly, uh, or a hosp- uh, uh, someone who worked in the hospital where Peter Maitland was, uh either became infected or was doppelganged and like killed a child, right? Um And then Terry goes and visits his dad, and then he's doppelganged. So it feels like, as you say, like the van, fo- like that line about the van following home. Like maybe, maybe not the van, but maybe like you know like a presence followed him home from this hospital which makes me think that the character of Peter Maitland if we ever meet him might have some interesting things to say um about you know both this hospital worker and his son you know he's the he's the linchpin between those two things um right so
4: and we're gonna go we're gonna presumably the the, the cut that he got at the hospital at the nursing home right, that Terry got right. is gonna come into play or something you know so
0: Right, exactly. This idea yeah, interesting. All right, so um did I miss anything? Did we uh Uh
4: no, I so think that's we, it.
0: I mean, there's uh, Big Daddy's Hangry Barbecue Mall Cop. Uh shout out to you.
4: Oh, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Um, um he's a good I actor. I don't know his name, but he I, he's he's in stuff, so um yeah, and you know, I think that like um I'm not like I just, I, I'm glad you said it because I'm just like really not looking forward to that neck rash getting worse.
0: <laughs> just don't want to see it. Like that's a horror trope. Yeah, that's a horror trope of like a festering, you know, and like we already saw a guy dig around in his own dang calf in this episode and so, pull so, Sarah uh, Snuck
4: out. It was horrifying.
0: <laughs> Who knew Australians could be so compact? Um,
4: yeah.
0: but yeah, I just, I don't need to see it. So, uh, hopefully we won't get it, but we might because of Stephen King um is there anything else that you're like curious about or or looking forward to seeing more of uh in future episodes
4: i'm just eager for everyone to like get on board and like have you know be like you know i I like the early stages where everyone is kind of on either side or doubting things but like i'm kind of i'm just getting a little impatient for um for the gang to really like be unified and and uh beat the bad guy i guess
0: Alright, so here's hoping that, uh, Ralph has a swift turnaround. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a slow road. We've got, uh, some more episodes to go. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> uh, yeah. we'll see. Uh, alright, uh, eh, alright, until episode four, Richard, where can folks find you?
4: Well, I'm gonna just be kind of hold up. Uh, I got a draft of the next leprechaun movie script due, like, really soon, and I'm way behind, so I'm gonna be doing that, but I might take a break or two here and there to, uh, tweet at Ryla's and to write things, um, coming up pretty soon from the Sundance Film Festival, uh, for VF.com. And what about you, Joanna?
0: Very exciting. Um, well, I am stuck in LA for a couple more days, uh, but you can find me on VinnyFair.com follow me on twitter at joe wrote this i will be slathering neosporin on any any wound <laughs> that i might encounter because apparently that's what one does uh and we once again you can email us still watching at gmail.com we love your we love your emails we have theories questions uh especially feedback to some of our conversations about neurodiversity which you know you know richard and i are always trying to be like as thoughtful as we can be about stuff like this sometimes there might be blind spots for us. So if we miss something, please do email us and we'd love to discuss your emails. Uh, otherwise we will see you at big daddy's hangry barbecue, uh, next week.
1: Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.
2: This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.
0: When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love and want are checked by experts, not just any experts. They're real people who really love these things. And they have real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, you can shop with confidence, knowing every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified real and authentic. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, slip on that watch, light up in gold, swing that handbag or step out in that streetwear, you'll get that authentic glow. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.